Hey. This episode was brought to you by the iBiomed program at McMaster University. Follow Mac iBiomed or stick around for more info. Hello, everyone. My name is Yumna. And I'm Sam. And today we're presenting to you episode five of the iBiomed Brainwaves podcast. And today we're going to be talking about undergraduate research. So as you guys know, McMaster is known for our research opportunities and iBiomed is no different. We have a bunch of awesome guests today who have done research in a variety of different areas, all the way from MRI imaging to bacteria. So we're going to have a lot of different people talking about their research today. So give you a kind of a little sampler pack of all the different research things you could do. And something you may notice is that the research that these students are doing might not be necessarily related to their stream completely, but that just shows you that no matter what you're interested in, you can always do some research and learn a little bit more as iBiomed would offer that opportunity. Yeah, uh, research has been uh, such an important part of my university experience. I got started in research uh, since my first year, actually. Oh, what'd you do in your first year? Yeah, in the in in first year summer, I was actually a part of the computing and software uh, research group with Dr. Christopher Ron, and it was it was a little different because I I'm actually in Hesse, um, and I ever since first year I was kind of interested in software, so I started volunteering with a professor to teach kids programming, and that's kind of how uh, I got the summer research opportunity. So, like, what kind of stuff did you do through that research opportunity? Uh, yeah, I was uh, essentially first we we create tools to teach kids programming uh, to help improve their math skills. So kind of like algebraic thinking uh, incorporated. A lot of times uh, students that aren't able to pass high school is most of the times because of math. And so we thought that programming is such like a big thing of the world right now that what if we can combine those two things to help students with math as well. So we kind of created these tools to teach kids programming. And a big thing was for the first year, we did a research study of for grades six to eight. Uh, and we went to different schools in the Hamilton District School Board. We taught them programming and we gave them like a math test before and a math test after to see how their math improved. Okay, well, if you like programming, why did you choose HESI over like software, for example? Yeah, that's a totally fair question. So I like programming as a, um, as like a hobby type of thing. Like I didn't really see myself like doing that like for the rest of my life. I look more like people interaction. And that's kind of why I really like this lab because even though we're doing programming, we're interacting with a lot of people, a lot of kids doing a lot of teaching. So that's kind of like the, the where I like to be in. Oh, okay. Well that, well, that makes sense. And I'm sure that there'll be a lot of opportunities like that. And um. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it's funny. fine. It's actually, it's, it's interesting because HESI has actually helped me with my research. It's, it's crazy because in second year, we learn about design thinking um, in like our second year HESI course. And then when I was with the computing and software like research lab, we started looking at design thinking to create like applications for children because we're like, okay, if we're creating an application, it should have a good user interface and user experience. Uh, and that's kind of where I came in with the fourth year designing of the, the computer science course, where I incorporated design thinking into into the curriculum to teach uh, computer science students UI, UX, and that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. That makes sense. So do research opportunities, like how often have like between you and your peers, I'm sure that you've know a lot of people who are doing research, like how often, how easy is it to get an opportunity or how difficult, like how much you have to look kind of thing? For sure. I think it's like very much to do with your luck as well as how much effort and where you want to, to be. Because uh, we do a lot of um, research uh, sort of stuff at, at McMaster. There's lots of like events that are happening. Uh, I'm a part of like MacSur, which um, throws a lot of these events where students get to meet professors because professors are always looking for students and students are always looking for professors. So we kind of have these events where we can bring both of them together. So I would say that uh, it's relatively not that difficult to get a position as long as you're like, find someone you're interested in, email them or meet them in an event and you can be like, hey, you know, I'm interested in your research. What are some opportunities? And the the professor, he was going to hire me anyway, but then we decided to apply for NSERC, which is 
which is where you, the professor can get funding from hiring for for hiring an undergraduate student. And I know a lot of my peers who did research were actually uh, got the USRA award, so undergraduate student research award. Um, and it kind of gives like it's like a summer opportunity where you get to work full time for research. Oh, okay. Hmm. And like that answer, um, when does that application occur? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the application for that is due around February. So you have to kind of start looking pretty early if you want to find a professor to start research with. Um, I actually applied for NSERC this year as well. So I'm this summer, I'm hopefully going to be working with uh, biosensors and with Dr. Leila Soleimani with uh, uh, the, the EngFizz department. And one of the students, the guest today, coming with Tana, she's actually worked with uh, Dr. Soleimani. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what what she did and hopefully what I'll be doing this summer. <laughs> yeah, that'll definitely be interesting for you. It'll be like a little prelude to your summer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... this, this, this summer is actually uh, part of the accelerated master's program. So after fifth year, we uh, iBiomed students get an opportunity to do an accelerated master's, but you have to kind of find a professor uh, way before so you can do the summer of fourth year so like this summer for me uh, and then you kind of have your fifth year to you know do school and then after your fifth year you get uh, to do one year and then you finish your master's in, in kind of like six years. So for you what would that master's be in? Would that be a, a master of health science? It's actually a master's of applied sciences with the school of biomedical engineering so okay. that's like the same opportunity for all iBiomed students regardless of their stream. Okay, yeah, I remember last year and first year we were exposed a little bit to uh, the accelerated masters, but we didn't hear a whole lot about it. Could you kind of elaborate mm -hmm. on what that is? And like, I know there's an accelerated PhD, if I remember correctly. So if you would like to elaborate a little bit on that, just for the listeners who might not know. Yeah, for sure. So the accelerated master program is for iBiomed students. Um, essentially, what happens is that you have to take one or two courses that we're already taking as a master's level course. So last semester, uh, we took uh, 4F04, so uh, biomedical instrumentation with Dr. DeBruin. And I took it as a sixth year course. So there was like an in or, an, or a master's course. So there was an independent study at the end. Um, and you just have to take those courses and then find a professor who's willing to take you on. Um, and then after your fourth year, so you have to work with them in the fourth year uh, summer. And then after you graduate, you can apply for the accelerated masters with the professor who wants to hire you. So you have to kind of do that legwork yourself where you have to find a professor who want, who you want to work with and who wants to work with you. Um, and then in terms of the accelerated PhD, um, there is like, a, it's like an ex extra three years instead of the extra one year for the masters. Uh, but there's a condition that you have to have like a, a GPA of 11 or higher. Uh, if you want to do the PhD um, option. Does the master's have that same GPA requirement? No, no. The master's has a much lower requirement. I can't remember exactly though. Okay, well, that's awesome. And um, now I think that it's time to look at some of our other guests. We have five other guests who are come from a variety of different research areas. And so we're really excited to talk to them. So um, without further ado, <laughs> thank you for sharing your research experience. And now we're going to hear from another student, Andrew. Hi, everyone. My name is Andrew. I am in third year of materials and biomedical engineering here at Mac. Did you want to tell us, like, give us a little bit about what kind of research you've been doing recently? My first experience in research was after my first year um, in the program. Uh, and I worked under um, Dr. Igor Zidomirsky and Dr. Catherine Granfield, who are both part of the School of Biomedical Engineering and also the Department of Materials Science and Engineering. Um, and my project was focused on developing um, different bioactive um, surface modifications for um, different types of uh, orthopedic implants. So it was kind of like an extension of um, the hip implant project from 1P10, which I found really interesting. I got to see a little bit more about um, where that project could lead and what kind of things you could work on. Um, so I used a bunch of different processes 
the most common being something called electrophoretic deposition um, to basically fabricate these coatings from scratch. Um, and then we did all kinds of different um, interesting techniques to characterize them, um, look at how they um, interact with the human body from a cellular response perspective. So um, I did everything from work, uh, like fabricating these coatings to actually working um, them under the electron microscope and looking at their different features um, and then conducting in vitro studies to look at how the cells um, behaved, whether or not they liked the material, disliked the material, and whether or not it would be promising a, a new promising direction for uh, biomedical applications. That's really awesome. So I know that, um, well, for my year, and I'm sh I believe for your year as well, Dr. Granfield was taught materials, the materials portion of 1P10. So is that how you kind of found the opportunity, like through um, talking to her after class and stuff like that? Or was there like a posting or like, how did you kind of find the opportunity? Yeah, that's another really great question. Um, so I didn't know anything about how research worked or how to get a research ex uh, research placement. And I hadn't um, won any like entrance award that um, would have given me a research placement. So um, I was really just a lost first year student uh, looking for volunteer opportunities <laughs> at the time. So um, actually how I ended up in research was I reached out to Dr. Granfield, as you had mentioned after class one day, um, and I just asked if she had any volunteer opportunities in the lab. And, um, you know, one conversation led to another and we ended up talking about potential summer research placements. And at the time she didn't have anything available in her lab, um, but then she suggested reaching out to one of her colleagues, Dr. Zinimersky, uh, for a research collaboration project between the two groups. Um, so then I ended up applying under their guidance to the NSERC USRA, um, which is basically um, just a research grant that you can apply for that kind of gives an incentive for um, a professor and the faculty to hire you for the summer and train you. Um, so I applied for that. Um, and I also applied for something called the Materials Fellowship, um, which is a program offered through the Materials Science Department um, and is really just about um, enriching your materials experience through different co-op placements. And so the way that they do that in first year is through um, a first year research placement. Um, and so I applied for those, through those two different avenues and I was really fortunate to um, be awarded with both. So I had the opportunity to work um, in the lab that summer and that's kind of how I got involved in re research. So I, I completed that research term um, in my first summer and then I kind of returned to the Grandfield Research Group in the second summer to kind of continue some of my work. That's awesome. So uh, is that why you got interested in materials in the first place or were you already interested in materials and then found this opportunity? Yeah, so <laughs> it's funny you ask that because when I first came into um, iBiomed, um, I was really interested in mostly on the health sciences side. I wasn't really even considering engineering when I first started this program, uh, which I guess uh, was just me being a little bit narrow minded. But as I went through the year, um, I realized how much opportunity and how much promise engineering as a discipline had. Um, and I really wanted to give it a shot. That being said, <laughs> materials was actually one of uh, my least favorite choices. I did not think I was going to go into materials. I was actually <laughs> someone who was more interested in something like Tron, for example. Um, but as I went through the year and as I did the projects, um, and as I learned a little bit more about what my strengths and weaknesses were um, as an engineering student, um, I realized that materials was something that I enjoyed. Chemistry was something that I was good at, and I wanted to kind of pursue that further. Um, and it wasn't until after my research placement that my um, passion for material science and biomedical engineering kind of was affirmed. So I kind of used that research experience as a, as a pilot study for my own personal kind of um, interest in materials engineering. And when I saw that I liked it as much as I did, uh, I knew that this was a pathway that I was ready to go down and, and, and experience for myself. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I know that you were part of like multiple research things. Were you ever able to like do some publications, be a part of some? Mm -hmm. um, what was your experience like for that in that um, sector? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, I didn't know anything about research or um, how it works. So at the, when I first started um my research term in my first year, uh, the idea of a publication or anything like that didn't really cross my mind. It didn't really occur to me. Um, and it was only after my first um, actual day in the lab when we were actually testing chemicals, again, back to that mad scientist kind of chemistry lab. <laughs> um, and I remember working with my PhD student and they were showing me this new technique that I was going to be using to fabricate these coatings. And so 
Uh, one thing that she mentioned to me was, you know, don't get your hopes up just yet. Uh, we don't know if this is going to work. This is what research is all about. We, we, you don't know if anything's ever going to work or if it's going to lead to any kind of result. And I, and so, you know, I, I kind of kept that low expectation going throughout my, uh, throughout the day. Um, but at the end of my very first day in the lab, um, I remember we had just finished doing the technique and she pulled the sample out and there was a result. And I didn't even know that it was a result, uh, but she started <laughs> cheering and, and kind of like shouting up and down being like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Uh, and I had no idea. So I just kind of started cheering too. And I was like, yes, this is amazing. I don't know how it's amazing, but it's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, and then the idea of publications was born in my brain and I, I realized that publications were a thing. So um, by the end of my first research summer, um, you know, we had collected so much data um, and done so many different techniques. Um, and, you know, the results had kept me motivated to continue kind of doing these techniques. Okay. Um, and eventually we ended up um, publishing th uh, three papers uh, for my first summer, uh, which was a That's really awesome. interesting thing, something that I never would have expected and something that um, I didn't even know who was part of the research process. And yeah, so I, I was really fortunate to um, publish three of those papers in my first summer. Uh, and even more fortunate, they, um, you know, after doing all of that work and eventually becoming independent in the, in the lab, um, they, they were really nice enough to give me first, first author on one of them. Uh, so that was a really, really uh, nice thing for them to do. And, and uh, you know, it, it just shows, it goes to show how amazing our faculty are at supporting our development. Yeah, for sure. So with all the research that you've done and uh, hopefully plan to do, what would be your advice to students who are looking to do research right now? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, my advice to someone who's um, looking to get involved in research um, is to um, do their best to um, do their due diligence when they're looking for their potential supervisor. Um, so that means you know, taking the time to really look at the, the work that they do, uh, taking the time to establish a connection with them, and taking the time to meet with them and discuss your research interests. Um, you might find that, um, you know, the, pers the, the prof that you are interested in working with, um, their work is a little bit different from what it may seem. Um, and it, it's not in a good or a bad way, it just might not be something that you necessarily are the most interested in. So it's important um, just to do your homework and really um, look at the different opportunities that are available and be true to your own interests. Um, one thing that I've seen a lot in, in research is students will um, be kind of really focused on getting the position in general, but not so focused on what that position entails and what the project will be like and what their experience will be. Um, and so a lot of students who go into research um, without really thinking about the project that they're taking on um, end up kind of disliking the project because it is a very slow process. And if you're not enjoying it, then, uh, or you're not interested in it, then it'll leave a bad taste in your mouth. Um, and I think for that reason, sometimes research gets a bad rap. Um, but if you take the time to really look at what you're doing and make sure that you enjoy the project and talk to different professors and really get an idea of what you're interested in getting out of your research experience, then you're much more likely to have um, a good one, a good, an, an experience that you find to be formative um, and skill building and interesting. Um, and it will spark more interest in having future research opportunities and, and seeking out a career possibly in, in research as well. All right, and now we have another guest. We have Matana, who is a fourth-year EngPhys student. And uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about your research experiences so far? Hi, yes, of course. Um, so I did two research positions, um, one right after first year and one right after second year. Um, the first one was in Dr. Felipe's lab, um, so it was chemical engineering. Um, and the second one was in Dr. Soleimani's lab, and that was EngPhys. Um, both were actually quite similar. We were both working um, on biosensors, um, kind of two different aspects of it. So the first one was more chemical engineering oriented and the second was more EngPhys. Um, so um, the first one was basically figuring out how to encapsulate DNA into hydrogel. Um, and then if like it detected whatever it was detecting, um, there would be a signal. And the second one um, was a surface electrode um, and putting DNA, DNA on that. Um, and then there would be a signal based on that, um, based on 
like a redox reaction. Interesting. So like, how did you go about finding these positions in first or second year? Did you have these professors as like actual professors or did you like email them or something like that? Um, so I actually went about like two different ways. So um, I guess I found there's kind of two steps to getting a research position. So the first one is finding funding and kind of getting that money. And the second one is actually finding a prof to work with. Um, so I was really lucky when I got in um, in first year, I had the USRA. So it's an enter- entrance scholarship for research over the summer. Um, so through that, I already had the funding um, and I kind of knew that I had to start emailing profs um, because I didn't actually have any that like I didn't have Dr. Felipe or Dr. Soleimani as either my profs. Um, So I kind of started uh, like emailing people, um, but actually Dr. Felipe was my mentor in design studio. Um, And we kind of started building a relationship there. Like he would help me with like my ideas for design projects. And he actually asked me um, during one of the design studios if I wanted to come do research um, with him, which was really great. that was really exciting. Um, and I wasn't actually interested in chemical engineering because I am an eng phys, like that wasn't the way I wanted to go, but I was interested in exploring kind of a new type of engineering. So I was really happy to join his lab. Um, for Dr. Soleimani, it was a little bit different. Um, I didn't have any funding, so I applied to NSERC. Um, I can talk about more about that later, but I was really lucky and I got that. Um, but before you apply, you have to find a supervisor to apply with. Um, so for her, I did email, like she is an EngPhys prof, um, but I didn't have her um, for any of my classes. So I kind of went on the faculty website um, for engineering physics. And I kind of just started looking at the profs like research and like their profile. And I saw her, I saw she was associated with the bio, school of biomedical engineering. I was really interested in her research. So I kind of did a little bit more reading about um, what she did and what papers she had published. And then I wrote her an email and I'm like, introduced myself, hi, I'm Matana. Um, kind of explained about what experience I had before and then just said why I was interested in her research and what I knew about it. Um, And then we sat down, we had a meeting um, and she looked over my transcript to make sure it was okay for the NSERC application. And then once we had that, um, we kind of went ahead with the application. Um, So that was great. Okay, awesome. So um, in regards to iBiomed, how did you see that your classes that you've taken iBiomed, whether that be 1P10 or like various other classes that we take, how did those help you during your research position or vice versa, I guess? How did your research positions help you in your future iBiomed classes? I actually think like the research really enriches what you learn um, because you're really diving deep into a topic and it might be a topic you're slightly familiar with um, from your classes. Like I did do a lot of kind of chemistry work, um, so kind of understanding like biochem and how the reactions worked, but nothing I really had explored in class. So it was really interesting to see it from like a more technical perspective and get a better understanding um, like through this research. So I think research really does help you um, kind of dive deeper into the topics you are learning in class. Um, And also just like in terms of skills, like not necessarily technical knowledge, but I find that research really helps you learn how to do a project independently, which is a really valuable thing to know how to do at university and also how to read papers. Like um, I found in my second position, I had to kind of figure out this whole like realm of like electrochemical reactions, which I like never had read about before. So kind of figuring out how to like sort through papers and like know how to read them and figure out which papers were actually good Um like have good results and um, were actually done with a proper scientific method because there's a whole bunch of like scientific literature out there but you really have to pick and choose what ones are like applicable to your research so I found that was really helpful especially going into third year where um, we take a class on kind of reading papers and that really helped knowing kind of knowing that beforehand helped me do better in my classes. Yeah for sure critical appraisal of medical literature it's like a health science class that we take Um, and I think we um, initially, you know, you hear about like, oh, this is written in a scientific paper and you'll hear that in the media and stuff. And then you actually, when you take that course, you're like, okay, now we have to tear apart that paper and see if it's an actual paper that's worthy of you putting your trust in it. Because there's sometimes it's like, you know, a different sample from like comparing to you, or sometimes it's like not enough sample size or, you know, it's, 
it's kind of really interesting. Uh, I've heard the saying that if you want to prove a point, you can find a paper to prove your point. Like literally, because there's like so much research out there. And so actually trying to figure out like what of this scientific research is like something that I can trust and something that um, I should believe. Like that's honestly really, really interesting. So what is your co-op specifically now? And can you compare it to your experience with research a little bit? Um, so I work with uh, um, a startup. It's a med tech startup. Um, so it's a very small company. They're kind of just um, getting their feet on the ground. Um, but they do a lot of R&D, which is really interesting because it actually is very similar to research, um, except that it's for more like it's for it's the, the intention of it is to go to industry and um, get sold where research is a little bit more just about exploring ideas where what I'm doing now for R&D is like based off ideas that have already been explored and just seeing how they're marketable. Um, but it's really interesting kind of seeing that comparison because in both it's a small work environment and you're really working closely with your colleagues um, and kind of getting ideas of, like from them. Um, so for both, it's very um, kind of similar skills that you need, but there is kind of a difference based on what your goal is. Yeah, for sure. And did you feel that like as an undergrad starting off with research, there was like a huge learning curve? I, I definitely did find it a little bit difficult because especially like in the first research position, I, I honestly didn't know that much. Um, like coming out of first year, you do learn a lot, um, but suddenly you're thrown in this very technical world. Um, but I was really lucky because Dr. Felipe's lab in particular um, is super, like it's just a really small community and like very supportive. I had a lot of mentors. Um, so they kind of helped me like, learn all the proper lab technique and kind of like get my feet on the ground. So yes, it's intimidated and yes, I was intimidated. Um, but I don't think it's something that should stop anyone because you always have people to help you out. And I think at Mac, especially, um, everyone is very kind and wants you, like they want you to do well. Um, so yes, it's a little bit of a leap, um, but something that I think everyone is capable of doing. Okay. And now what advice would you give to like listeners, whether they be prospective iBiomeds or current iBiomeds on getting a research position or like choosing a research position, anything about research? What's one piece of advice that you wish you would have gotten that you can give to people now? Hmm. I think, I guess it's kind of my advice for everything, but kind of choose something based on what you're passionate about. Um, I think that you'll be able to do a good job if you enjoy what you're doing. Um, so I think just figuring out what you're interested in and kind of pursuing that is the best way to go. And if you're reaching out to profs, they really will see that passion and they'll want to work with you um, if they see that you're really interested um, in what they do. So I think just like, don't be like, don't be afraid to like step out of your comfort zone, but do it based on what you're passionate on about. Thank you so much for your time. It's yeah, thank you very advice. much. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Today we have here with us Anu is Anushree, and she's in Chem I Bio. So Anushree, tell us a little bit about your research. Sure. So currently I'm on a 12-month co-op, and I'm working with Suncor and Dr. Pelton and Dr. Hoare um, on campus, actually, which is great because I get to revisit it. But it's very um, hollow because no one's there. But um, the research itself, it's um, testing disinfectants on bacteria. So it's nice to do some hands-on lab work, and um, we're working on it because of COVID, actually. So it's nice that this opportunity came along when it did. Yeah, so what is your day-to-day -day like? Like, what is your role specifically in this research? Sure. Um, so mine is very lab work intensive. So uh, for a while, we didn't have any lab bookings, so it's just doing like online reading on the topic. But um, now that we actually have lab bookings, I can go in and do hands-on work. For example, I create petri dishes, um, so I have to make the agar myself and then pour the plates. And then once those are solidified, then I inoculate them with bacteria after doing serial dilutions and mixing the disinfectants in. So we're running screening tests to see which ones actually work and which ones don't and how well they kill. Wow. Okay. So did you get like training and all these... 
um, things or did you have prior experience? Funnily enough, I did have prior experience in high school. So um, we worked with non-pathogenic bacteria in high school and I did um, a research paper on uh, homeopathic versus like allopathic antibiotics and whether they work. Um, And then that experience led me to this position. But because this position works with pathogenic bacteria um, and it's in a BSL-2 or biosafety lab 2 laboratory, they require extra training. Interesting. Okay. How did you go about finding this position? Was it through like the Oscar Plus co-op site or did you find it another way? I found it another way. Um, One of our upper years in just chemical and bioengineering, she had a position with my supervisors and they were looking for someone to fill the spot for this new project. So she sent it back to us. She graduated. So she sent it back to us and then I just sent them an email. So you had to like send your email and like do an interview or yeah, like, send I actually your sent the stuff? email um, with my resume and cover letter, but I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. an interview. And then when they said, "Oh, we'd like to meet with you," I asked around. I asked my peers and stuff who had more um, experience with interviews whether they were actually going to interview me or if they were just like going to talk about the project itself. And they said, "Oh, yeah, it's a relaxed." just conversation don't worry about it and then when I got to it it was a very technical interview oh wow (laughs) so they were asking me about like the aseptic technique and if you've ever worked with bacteria and all that and luckily I had but I didn't have time to prepare for the interview oh no you still pulled it off (laughs) yeah it seems to have worked (laughs) it it worked for sure so once his co-op's term is finished you'll be almost close almost getting there to graduation can you see yourself doing research like in the future as well or are you going to see yourself in more of an industrial setting that's a great question um it's also one of the reasons why i took this co-op because i wanted to figure out whether i want research in the first place and like grad school is also a lot of research so i wasn't sure if that's a path i want to take either um but now that i'm in the field, I can definitely see myself doing research because it's very set in its ways. Like if you know what you're doing, then it's not hard to do, but it's getting to the place where you know what you're doing. That's the difficult part. But to say that I haven't had an industry position yet, so I can't really say which one I'd prefer. So I'm looking for an industry position for next summer. What is a piece of advice you'd give to somebody who's looking for a research position currently or like it's kind of like on the fence about is research for me, is research not for me? What's kind of a piece of advice you'd give that person? Um, a piece of advice I'd give is definitely do a research position. Um, because <laughs> um, at least it'll tell you if research isn't for you. And so if you get to do the research, then you get to figure out uh, what kind of research you'd want to be doing too. Because research is such a broad term in and of itself. There's so many applications, like even in chemical engineering, a lot of our professors do research and Dr. Husseini Doust, for example, she's working on bacteriophages. And then you have uh, Dr. Sheardown, who's working on like ophthalmological solutions. And those two are already so separate, even though they're in chemical and bioengineering. Um, So definitely finding a position that you'd want to be doing and you see yourself going through at least four months of um yeah you've pretty much gone through our list of questions <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for joining us today it was really awesome learning about your research and yeah it's really great have another great six no nine months of co-op left yeah nine months of nine co-op. months more have a great uh, awesome nine months um we look forward to hearing you from you maybe near the end thank you so much for having me thanks for coming Okay, so next up we have Brendan. He is a fourth year HESI student. And Brendan, can you tell us a little bit about your research? Yeah, sure. So my history with research goes way back to when I was in first year. Um, just after finishing first year, I went into my summer thinking how I, uh, how I can get involved. And you know, I wanted to go home at the time as well. I'm from Toronto. And so I found myself actually working on a research co-op at U of T. And my job in that uh, over that summer was actually working with these um, lab work that involved 
isolating these proteins that we call nuclear receptors. And it turns out each person sort of has like their own unique set of nuclear receptors. And we can look at those proteins and actually maybe even predict your risk for future diseases like cancer and whatnot. So it's almost like a, like a screening assay that we were developing. And so, you know, as a first year student, no, I never even got into the labs, let alone know how to use a pipette, um, all the, all the machinery, um, such as, such as like a centrifuge in the, in the lab. And so, no, it was, a, it was a great experience. I felt like iBio really set me up with a analytical, uh, toolbox. And when I got there in the lab, I was actually able to hit the ground running. Um, we started learning everything from the basics and, I spent the next couple of weeks learning about the theory. And um, after that point, I was on my own. So I think the biggest thing about research that people don't really know is uh, it's not like school. Like you go to school, you learn uh, what, exactly what the professor tells you, what you need to know. But in research, you're actually coming up with the problems yourself. And so I need to figure out, okay, how are we going to optimize our ability to capture all of these proteins? Nobody else in the world knew. And so it was my job to actually become an expert on that and actually kind of figure out how we can actually do that. So over that summer, that's what I was working on. Um, I, I will say that um, in my future research endeavors, I sort of stayed closer to home uh, to McMaster after that. And so one place where I got involved was actually within our own iBio department with Dr. Bruce. Dr. Bruce works in um, auditory engineering, so everything to do with hearing aids and signal processing. And so this was an, a radically different field where I got involved in. Um, no more lab work, no more, bench, uh, no more bench work with chemicals and whatnot. This was actually uh, all in silico, all, all on a computer. We had data from um, hearing aid listeners. Um, and what we were trying to do is we were trying to figure out which beam forming direction for hearing aids actually improves their ability to listen to something. So like some, some hearing aids um, point directly forward, have their microphones pointed forward. Some have like this really interesting algorithm that kind of tracks the person of interest that you want to listen to. Um, and, and some of just are omnidirectional. They, they listen in all directions equally. And the importance is that you know, when you have a hearing aid, it's not like a natural mechanism. It, it's hard to pay attention to a specific person, especially if it's very noisy. There's no like biological mechanism that we have innately in a hearing aid. And so what we we're trying to do is trying to figure out which one of these three settings, these three microphone directions actually reduce the effort of people who are listening, because you know, if listening is very difficult, you know, you might, you might give up on listening and that's not really a good thing to, to, to have, right? For people who are hearing impaired, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to engage in everyday life and what people are saying and, and, and to focus. And so that's sort of what we worked on um, going into my third year. Uh, so you also mentioned like data analysis. Um, so what were the specific software that you were using? Uh, and like, was any of it that you've learned from iBiomed? That's a great question. And um, I guess for the, like, the maybe the first years and second years listening, like, yes, like um, <laughs> you will use every single thing that you've, you've learned, even like in 1P10. Like you, in 1P10, you learned a lot of the basics, like for loops, while loops, um, logical conditions. All of that comes back because um, when you are doing data analysis, you're not doing, you're not doing the math by hand, right? You're not doing the statistics by hand. You got to teach oh a computer how to do that, right? So yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that would gotta, take forever. Yeah, ex yeah, exactly. And so when you teach a computer how to do that, you need to you need to know how to program. That's how you actually teach the computer. And so some of the software that we've used um, to do data analysis is like MATLAB. Um, so even like in first year math, like you've been using that. I'm, in my opinion, it's the the coolest um, software that we use in in engineering, just because it's so versatile. It does everything. There's such like a, like if you ever look up like the backlog of live, the backlog library for like all these different functions that just people out there in the world create to help other people. Like it's amazing. Like I, I was looking up for, I was looking up this function to help analyze my subjects and you know, it would have taken forever for me to code up a new thing, uh, a new piece of software to analyze all that. But you no, know, someone else actually had it and they just said like, okay, you can use it. Just, just cite it. Um, and, and so I think that was actually very useful because I think just it's just open source. And so everyone can actually help everyone out. It's, it makes using MATLAB a lot more of a collaborative and easy experience. And I yeah, there's say, so many toolkits. Exactly. Like, exactly. There's like signal processing toolkits right now. We're using Simulink for our uh, processing mm -hmm. course and like that MATLAB, you know, I was like, okay, MATLAB's just going to be like a first year thing. And then it has kind of followed us uh, to like even fourth year. We used it in Dr. De Bruin's course for, um, 
instrumentation and we're using it for our medical imaging course. So it's kind of followed us throughout for like almost all of our courses, like the iBioengineering courses. So I think that's pretty cool. Wow, that's really awesome. Now, I know I have to ask, you've been involved in seems like a million different <laughs> research <laughs> things all over different areas. <laughs> How do you go about finding these opportunities? Like, do you just meet professors mm-hmm. and start talking to them? Or is there a website you're using? What's your secret? So I, I guess I'll be honest, like when I was before I got involved in any of this, it was sort of a scary endeavor, right? I remember in high school, I, I applied to this research thing at Sunnybrook and St. Michael's Hospital. And I remember just sending out probably over 50 emails. Um, and I didn't get a, I didn't get any replies back. And, you know, at the time, it was just very disheartening and whatnot. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned was that you shouldn't you shouldn't take that personally. The professors are busy people. And it, it could have just been that they were on a busy day and your email got missed. And so what I learned was just to be persistent. And what I, a couple of tricks that I learned along the way is like, you know, when you send an email to a professor, don't use a template. Don't use a template because a template doesn't show anything about your interest in their research. And it looks like you're probably one of the many other students that are sending them the exact same template that they found on Google about um, why they so why they want to research in their lab. What I recommend is, you know, taking the extra time, maybe like 15, 20 minutes, just looking up some of their papers, some of their works, drawing a connection to your real life experiences. And so when you write that email, um, you talk about some of that. Um, so I know like with the uh, with the U of T research, like uh, one of my, uh, like one of the, um, one one of the issues with I, I spoke before, like how it's related to cancer. Like there's, uh, like one of my family members had cancer, and so I thought it'd be very interesting if we connected that, and that was that was sort of like my connection to the project. And when I explained that to the supervisor, um, she was actually very, she found it, she told me right away, she found it to be very uh, refreshing and different. Yeah, the, I, I'm glad you talked about that because. Uh, personally, I've also written emails to like professors for research, and uh, I've I've um, always learned about that. So I go in, look at their like lab uh, lab website, what t- kind of things they're publishing. Also, because you don't want to get a research position just for the sake of a research position. You want to actually learn about what they're doing. And if you don't know what they do, then how can you say I want to work with you, right? So uh, go in, do research on like what they've done, see if you're interested in that and, and why you're interested in that. And, and if you tell them that, like, honestly, like, this is what I know, this is why I'm interested, um, then it will make you all the more appealing to them. So that's, yeah. that's a great advice. It's almost like this need just to be genuine. And like, I, I know that these days research is very popular and everyone's applying for it. And what they tell you is like, oh, you need to just show off all your accomplishments and they'll speak for themselves. Right. But you know, I think we're at a point where everyone is pretty accomplished. How are you, how else are you going to stand out? Just, I think just by, yeah, by being genuine, um, showing that you're pers- personable and that not only will you actually affect a lot of progress in the lab, but you're also going to be a fun person to work with. Because I think lab culture is so important. Like it, it helps you feel like you are supported by your lab mates. Um, and that goes a long way because, you know, the lab is a collaborative environment. You're helping each other out and you know, edit a paper, uh, give comments on a post presentation. And so you can't really downplay the importance of the, the soft aspects of your ability to work with others. And so, you no, know, I think being genuine is a good way to, to communicate that to a, a, a PI. Yeah, wow. That's like some, some great advice that you've given, especially with everyone like looking for research. Lots of lots of good advice here. Thank you, Brendan, for for your time. Yes, thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> no, thank you. And for our last guest today, we have Conrad, who is a fourth year HESI student. Uh, Conrad, would you like to tell us a little bit about your research? Yeah, awesome, for sure. And thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, my name's Conrad Grala. I'm fourth year and I'm in the HESI stream. So I started research after during the summer after our first full Uh, school year. So my research was essentially in the form of an independent project in a sense. So I was just working on uh, a computer program uh, based on what the professor needed me to do. And so the professor I was working for specialized in medical imaging. So his name's Dr. Michael Noseworthy, and he's kind of a big deal when it comes to medical imaging. And he's uh, very experienced, very well known, and just a super cool guy. So specifically with my research, what I was supposed to do was uh, write a script uh, that would analyze MRI images 
and model the permeability of the blood-brain barrier. So it's a lot of technical words and a lot of jargon, but essentially the main idea is, uh, I don't, maybe not, don't quote me on this exactly, but from what I was told, um, there were some kind of hypotheses or connections found with how, how well your blood-brain barrier works and correlations between any like injuries or deteriorations in that blood-brain barrier activity with various mental conditions or mental disorders. Uh, and that extends to like clinical depression and the, the like. And so what I was tasked to do was take these uh, MRI images MRI images of a patient's scan and apply a bunch of math and equations that were made up by some other researcher. And I was meant to basically make like a color map on top of these scans to identify if there were any locations where the blood brain barrier may not be working optimally. And I think, again, this is a lot of kind of technical jargon for those who may not know too much about anatomy. The blood-brain barrier is essentially kind of those capillary walls within your brain. And it's essentially, as the name sounds, it's that in-between layer of tissue between the blood and capillaries and then your actual brain tissue. And so as you may think about it conceptually, uh, it's kind of a very important uh, anatomical feature, you could say, because we all need our brains to kind of survive and function. <laughs> wow, what a revelation, Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So um, you mentioned that you were working with um, MRI images. So how did you get into this MRI imaging and um, kind of stuff? Like, how, how did you get interested in it? How, and how did you get interested in this research? That's an excellent question. Um, and I think, to be honest, I don't think my story is very conventional. So I think it almost worked out the opposite way in the fact that the field found me. Wow. <laughs> that sounds super cliche. Um, but so the, the way the situation worked out for me after first year, I was actually very fortunate. Uh, so I, I was given the opportunity to actually prevent, present one of my final uh, projects from our design course, 1P10, um, to like a whole uh, cohort of, not cohort, but a whole a whole uh, faculty of profs. And what happened afterwards was we were given an opportunity to network with these profs. And so Dr. Noseworthy was really impressed by the project that I did unrelated to medical imaging, but I told him uh, like my interest in like science, biology, and computer science, because I had a bit of a background in software. So he thought that it would be a perfect fit for the kind of work he does. And so he kind of, he suggested that he may have an opportunity for me. So basically the way it worked out in my case was uh, we, we corresponded over email, I sent him my resume, and then he gave me some suggested uh, projects that I could work on. And this was one of them. And so kind of from there, I ended up picking this project and a lot of it was kind of just, it aligned with a lot of the, the things I was interested in. It had that clinical background, that biology basis, but it also had a lot of hard science, hard physics, and that added bonus of some software. And I honestly really do enjoy doing software. Yeah, that's really good. And like you were saying that this is like, this specific project did have like a lot of software and like almost like non-typical HESI components, I guess you could say. Oh, yes. So like, how, how did you find that like this work kind of related to your HESI experience or didn't relate or like, how did you find the connection between those two? Honestly, that's a great question as well. So I think the biggest thing uh, in my situation was because this was this, because I did this research in the summer after first year, this was before um, I actually started any HESI work, like before the first true semester of HESI courses took place. So uh, there weren't many very direct connections. I guess I would say, because a lot of HESI's focus is around kind of, what would be the best way to say this? I think the biggest thing with HESI is that it's very um, focused on like problem definition, solution orientation, kind of communicating with patients or clients. And so I would almost argue that this is almost the complete opposite 
this is one of your very generic situations of a client kind of comes to you. I have this problem and I know the solution I need. I need you to make it for me. So honestly, in my situation, this was almost the complete opposite of how HESI works. Well, that's almost better because then you get the exposure to, you get both sides of the coin, I guess. You get the defining the problem and looking for a solution and having the problem defined for you and making the solution. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it, it was a nice break kind of just getting into that zone of just like hard work, like you're just programming and you're just working on the project instead of having to take that step back. But I think it also gave me a better, a greater appreciation for the kind of stuff that I get to do in HESI because it's a lot more kind of higher level, generalized um, and more kind of free flowing, less prescribed. I was just going to ask, like, do you see yourself, I know you said you're going to do the master's. Do you see yourself doing research as a career um, um, or so what are you thinking? I do really enjoy, this is a, another interesting question because I think that's something that I like I know a lot of people come into university thinking that they have to know what they are going to do with their lives right from the get-go but this is such a hard decision that like even people are just about to graduate like myself like that's still something I'm trying to figure out I know I enjoy medical imaging I enjoy what we do in HESI as well and I've found having opportunities to apply it such as in like my own projects have really shown me like different things you can do with those skills and so Again, that's something I'm trying to figure out. I have applied to medical school. Medicine lies in my interests above all else. But besides that, I would consider research, but I would also I would also consider finding interest industry applications for kind of medical imaging research. And I think that's another avenue I do hope to explore. And we're excited to see where you where you end up and we'll hope to have you back on the shows and maybe an update later on or something like that. That'd be I'd fun. love to. That sounds actually <laughs> like a great idea. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and, and spending your time with us. Thank you. And thank you to all the listeners. That's all of our guests for today. I hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, we'll see you guys again soon. Hey, you reached the end of this episode. Well, there's actually a bit more. Thanks for donating your brainwaves to us for this short amount of time. To keep up with what's on our minds, make sure to like and follow the podcast. We'll be releasing new episodes on the first Thursday of each month with a different set of hosts. Got a question, comment, or a suggestion on your minds? You can send a voice message at anchor.fm slash McMasterIBioman or fill out our online form at bit.ly slash brainwaves questions. Want to keep up with all things iBioMed? Follow our Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube channels at MacIBioMed. And thanks to Lope Music Production for our background music. Until next time.